Colossians 1, we are up now to verse 7. Today, I think we're just going to be able to get two verses done, as usual. Colossians chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 7 and 8. Listen to the word of the Lord. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He's told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. One more time. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he's helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. This is the word of the Lord. All right, first one. You learned. You learned. I don't care who we are. We are called to become learners. The word for disciple in Greek is mathetes, and it's the same exact word that's used here, and it means learner. I don't care who you are, you are called to be a lifelong learner. At some point, somebody who knew Jesus just a little bit better than you taught you some stuff. You might have known him personally, you might have read about it in a book, you might have seen it in a sermon. I don't know how it happened, but somehow somebody who knew Jesus just a little bit more than you taught you something, and if you learned it, it got inside you and it changed your life. And we cannot afford ever, 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 ever in life to stop learning. They say that uh, when we first start out a thing, we are aware of how much we don't know, but that when we get to sort of the dangerous middle, when we become intermediate in a skill, we know enough to think we know far better than we do know. We know enough to think of ourselves as knowledgeable, but not enough to really be highly skilled in the thing. And the strange thing is, these, these folk, when we start, we know what we don't know, which is everything. Then when we get to be an intermediate, we start to assume we know better than we do. And then when people get really skilled in an area, they actually know what they know, but they know how much more they don't know, and they, they, they actually are pretty humble in the thing. And it's the people who are really skilled in a thing that are most likely to undersell the, the value of what they have to contribute. Did you know that? The, if you're at that third level, you're more likely than the people at that second level. You could be far better at the thing than these people who are behind you, but these people behind you think they know better than you. And you up here undersell the value of what you have to contribute. But here's the deal. The more you know Jesus, the more you are aware of how much there's left to learn. And the more you keep the posture of the learner. When we start to get, remember, remember the story I told, I'm reading the Bible one day and I'm going, I know what's in my Bible and I kind of know what I'm about to read. And that bothered me and I instantly said, Lord, that's not healthy. That's not healthy at all. And I said, Jesus, show me something I don't know. And he said, squids. And it sent me down that whole journey. We're spending hours and days obsessing over the Humboldt squid and all that cool stuff. But he just, he just dropped a tiny little thing from the world I live in to me that I had no clue about to say, you don't know what you're doing. And then, and then now we're on this topic of God, right? Here's the tiny little speck of dust we live on. And then here's God. We don't understand what's in our ocean depths. We don't understand how life works. We, don't, we just discovered DNA. We had it the whole time. We just discovered it within the last like 100 years or something like that. We're, still, we're just now mapping it. We hardly understand anything about the world on which we live. So for us to presume to then approach the things of God with anything 
other than the humble posture of a hungry learner is absolute foolishness. So never stop learning. One of the greatest things is at the end of every single day to say, what did I learn? Another thing that's true is everybody can be your teacher. Everybody you meet has something to teach you. Everybody you meet, whether they even know Jesus or not, has something to teach you. Never stop learning. You learned. Next phrase. You learned the gospel from Epaphras. Now, this is really the meat of the, of the passage. This blows my mind. A regular dude, just a regular person, shared what is true about what Jesus accomplished. And it transformed their time and eternity. Just a regular person shared something about the cross and the resurrection and the incarnation and the love of God. That's all. And God took their eternity and translated it, transferred the whole thing over to here. Took their hearts and transferred the whole thing over to here. Took their lives and changed the trajectory completely over here because of a regular person who shared with them in a regular conversation with normal words the information about who God is and his love. Isn't that, does that blow your mind? That a, that a regular person can share the gospel and the Holy Spirit take those regular words from a regular dude and do irregular things, supernatural things, transformational things that change hearts and lives forever. Epaphras is just like us, guys. He's just a man who met Jesus. And then he shared Jesus with his hometown friends. His friends and family he grew up with, he just shared with them what he knew. Who knows how much he knew? But if you know Jesus, you know enough. If you know Jesus, you know enough. Whatever you have, you might not feel like you have much to give, but if you have anything, you have something. That just blows my mind. A regular person. So my questions are like, who did that in your life? Who are the regular people in your life who shared what they knew of God and it impacted you and got on you and made your life better. Who did that in your life? My guess is uh, it, probably not podcast people and, and YouTube people and, and sermons. It can be. But the people who make the biggest dent are usually in relationship, aren't they? Isn't that weird? We kind of idolize the people who live far away from us. And the people who live near us, we kind of undervalue a little bit. But the ones who live near us, who we undervalue, usually have a bigger influence on us. Isn't that weird? And if we live near those superstar people, we'd realize they're, they're normal too. Because one of the secrets of the Christian life is that I'm not your answer and you're not my answer. And there's only two ways to let... There's only, like, all, everybody's going to let you down. The question is, are they going to let you down the right way or the wrong way? If they let you down the wrong way, you might give up the faith. If they let you down the right way, you get deep in your faith. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like the weirdness is that you, like Jesus already did everything that's required, right? And you don't need people to be your mediator. But the strange thing is you need people to share with you how much you don't need people. You need another priest to, show, to share with you that you're a priest. You need somebody who knows Jesus a little better than you to teach you that you don't need this person who knows Jesus a little better than you. You need the Jesus that they know. And this person over here doesn't have the answers to life. They're still struggling with stuff too. They're still in a learning process too. They're still, in their, they're still imperfect and somewhere on the journey. They might be singing loud in church, but there's some hurt they're walking with. There's some sin they're fighting. There's some questions they're, 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 they, they, don't, they don't have answered yet. They're not your answer. And so the only way, the only way to make it through and have healthy relationships is for people to let each other down the right way. 
to where we lean on each other in a way that we know we are, I'm not your answer and you're not my answer. Otherwise, then you run from church to church looking for the next person, that, the next denomination that you think has it right, and we all don't. We have Jesus right, and he's right. There's no perfect denomination, there's no perfect church, there's no perfect pastor, there's no perfect husband, no perfect wife, no perfect city, no perfect country. But there is a perfect God and Savior. And he dwells in all of his people. All of his people. All of his people. He's just a regular dude. Just a regular dude knows Jesus. He can lead you to Jesus. So who was that in your life? Who taught you what they knew? Who led you to Jesus? Who helped you grow in Jesus? Here's another question. Who are you teaching? Who are you investing in? Who are you sharing the things that you've learned? You go, ah, I'm not a gifted teacher. I didn't ask you that. Well, the Lord hasn't called me to preach. I didn't ask you that. Who are you friends with that you're influencing toward the Lord? Who are you teaching how to trust God in the ways that you do know how to trust God? Do you know what I mean? Like Randy Clark, whenever he shows up, healing shows up. When I show up, people hearing the voice of God shows up. I don't know what your thing is. And I'm not saying we're all boxed in a little thing. But everybody has something to contribute. What are you contributing and who are you contributing it to? And then who are you, who's further along from you that you're intentionally saying, hey, teach me what you got. I want, I want, I want, I want some of that. I remember one, one summer I worked with my, my father-in-law. And he'd get up in the morning and he'd sit on the por- front porch with just a cup of coffee and do nothing. That might not surprise you, but it sure surprised me. The idea of sitting, up, sitting and doing nothing on purpose every day, first thing. I didn't have a box for that. I mean, at least pray, at least read your Bible, at least, or not. Because I can tell you something, he knocked off at 5 p.m. every night too. And I was the one pushing, we got to finish the porch, we got to finish the job. If we keep pushing, we can do The next thing you know, you got women mad at us because we showed up late for a meal they cooked. Now it's cold and they're upset. And we're too tired to want to help with the cleanup. We're worn out because we pushed hard. I learned a lot from him and he never said a word about it. The stuff he taught me, he doesn't know he taught me. Because he wasn't trying to teach me. He was just living the way he's learned how to live. And he lived with a great amount of peace and he was never in a hurry and he got more done with me. And he was, I could probably throw him across the room and he couldn't pick me up, but he somehow managed to get more work done than me. All right, that's enough of that. But who's, who's further along that you're intentionally learning from? Next phrase says Epaphras is beloved. Now I know that we want to spiritualize that and be like, yes, we're the beloved of God. And we're the, that's not what he's talking about. What he means is I really like this guy and everybody seems to. You ever run with people like that? You meet somebody and like instantly you have a connection and then it doesn't go away. And like years later, you still have that connection. You know, people like this that just like they're so likable and they're so helpful. And when you're around them, your spirits lift and you're like, I love that guy or I love that gal. That's what he's saying. He's saying, oh, Paphras is like that. Just being around him is encouraging. You can't help but love the guy. Next phrase. He says that he is a, well, in the, in the New Living, it, translate, it translates it as a co, I don't know, how do they say it, co-worker, because they're trying to soften the language here, because they, they know that the word slave is not a popular word. But in the Greek, it's soon doulos, which means uh, co-slave. Now, this is really interesting. Paul says, me and Epaphras are slaves of Jesus fellow slaves of a common master. Now, okay, just to be clear, 
Slavery in the New Testament is not the same as slavery as it happened in this country. Slavery in this country was kidnap people who are of a specific race and then they have no freedom. They can't get free. This is non-voluntary all the way around and it's lifelong and it's oppressive and abusive. Slavery in the ancient world was still not cool. Not cool. But it was not based on race. And it was not usually based on being kidnapped. Most of the time, slavery in the ancient world was their version of, the, of, of sort of the unemployment or the uh, welfare system. It was starve or find someone to sell yourself to, 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 to attach yourself to. I'm not saying it was good. I'm not saying it was fun. And I'm not saying slaves were treated well. But what I am saying is it wasn't what it was in this country. And so Paul is saying something that still cuts pretty hard, which is, I have given up all my right to determine how my life is going to go. And 100%, I have bound myself. That's what that word comes from, the word for slave, someone who is bound. I have bound myself to Jesus so that his agenda sets my agenda for every moment and every, and every day. I don't live for me anymore. I live to do the will of my master at all times. How are we tracking? Now, we do know that Jesus in John says to the disciples, I no longer call you slaves, but I call you friends. But Paul would prefer still, from his perspective, to say, on my end, I take the posture of, I belong to you, I do your will. If you want to say to me, come up here and and give me your ideas, that's on you, Jesus. But my posture toward you is, I'm here to do your will, not mine. I'm here for the gospel. My life exists for one thing alone, not to be fulfilled, not to be happy, not to have a career, not to express myself, not to find my meaning and my purpose. My life exists for one thing the advancement of the gospel and to become the expression, the purest expression I can of who God is now that he's revealed himself to me in Jesus. And he says, Epaphras gets it too. He's one of these people, I can sense it in him. He lives for one thing and one thing alone, the will of the master. I would suggest that even though this slave image is offensive to us, it would be helpful if we learn to value and admire and even take on this exact mindset. That's all I'm going to say about that right now. That deserves more, but actually later on in Colossians, later when he gives his instructions for slaves and masters, I'm going to have to unpack that more fully, but that's enough for for right now. He also says he's Christ's faithful servant. Christ's faithful servant. You guys remember the parable of the, uh, you know, the the, the talents, sometimes it's called, or the three servants, where Jesus entrusts uh, or the master actually entrusts different amounts of cash to three people and then they go and they invest it and then they come back and one is scared. You know the story, right? Okay, and then he says, this is what it's like in the kingdom. Okay, each of us has been given a stewardship. Each of us has been given a life, uh, a, a walk with God, some opportunities, some relationships, some abilities, some experiences We know God, and that's a sacred trust. Our intimacy with God is a sacred trust, and we're meant to live in such a way that we're fruitful. And and if we do it, we we all know we're going to stand before Jesus and give an accounting of our life, correct? And for Paul, that day, he's obsessed with that day. He's obsessed with that day because though he knows 
he's not going to hell. His sins are forgiven. He knows that. But what he's trying to figure out how to do is to maximize the value of his life now that he is saved. So, again, he's not obeying Jesus to escape hell. He's trying to maximize the fruitfulness to bring the most glory to Jesus and the most pleasure in his eternity as he possibly can. And he's obsessed with this day. He's obsessed with getting a well-done, good and faithful servant. And he's saying, Epaphras is this kind of guy. He's faithful. I remember the first time Brian Connolly ever came here. He said that the Lord one day told him that he was pleased with him. And, and Brian, I remember Brian saying, and that is the only prophetic word I need. Interesting, right? That's the only prophetic word I need. That's what I'm living for. That the Father's pleased. Okay. Christ's faithful servant. And Paul says that Epaphras is Christ's faithful servant helping them. Now that, that's interesting. Like helping Paul do what? So Paul's here trying to introduce people to Jesus and grow them up in Jesus. And he is just like us. He's just like us. Nobody is good at everything, but everybody is good at something. Therefore, everybody needs people. It's too simple. Is that too simple for you? It's like too simple to give an amen, right? It's like, no, tell us something more deep. Nobody's good at everything, but everybody's good at something. Therefore, we're better together. And so Paul's saying, look, I'm trying to introduce people. That's all he's doing. He's just, I'm trying to introduce people to Jesus and then grow people up in Jesus. But to do it best, he needs people. He needs prayer support. He needs co-laborers. He needs co-teachers. He needs people to organize. He needs people to help. He needs people to serve. You know, and I wonder about this one too, because Paul said in his letters, he's impressive, but in person, he's not. I wonder if sometimes Paul wasn't like, you know what, I'm going to teach you in private, but I'm going to let you preach in public. Because I know my Jesus and my Bible better than you, but you say it in a way that the people get it better. That would be okay, wouldn't it? It would be okay if Paul was the leader, but he didn't do the speaking. That would be okay. So Epaphras appears to have been from Colossae, whatever you call Colossae, that's how I want to say it. Let's just pretend that I'm right. That's how you pronounce that city. Epaphras appears to have been from there, somehow meets Jesus, and then he signs on and he goes into this itinerant thing with Paul, which is super cool. But what's interesting is that he says that he's helping them on their behalf. Now, they never met Paul. Remember this? The Colossians never even met Paul. But but Paul says that Epaphras is helping them on on their behalf, which to me implies that even though they never met Paul, just the fact that they met Jesus means they are in some way organically connected to the spread of the gospel. And that they owe those workers who are spreading the gospel their support, even though they haven't even met them. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That just the fact that they know Jesus means they already have a vested interest in the spread of the knowledge of Jesus on planet Earth. And that anyone who's in, who's doing Frontline's kingdom work, deserves to have their support. What this to me says is like, you know, you know how I feel about denominations, right? They're a helpful home, but a terrible prison. Do you know what I'm saying? They're a helpful home. I'm glad we have them. 
it wouldn't be better to not have them because they're organized and they, they, they support and they encourage and they have doctrinal standards and they resource. They're, they're wonderful to have, but they make for terrible prisons. And what I mean is, if you only fellowship with people within your denomination and you lose sight of the kingdom, now this has become an idol. And I just, just kind of want to remind us that anywhere, anywhere that on the front lines of kingdom people are bringing Jesus to people, we owe them our support, even if we don't know them. Because we're organically linked by the common nature and spirit of Jesus within us and our common father. And so I just think that's cool. Paul's like, you know what? He is serving me on your behalf. And they're like, on our behalf? What are you talking about? And he's like, well, you know, I'm front lines. And anyway, enough said. Then it says in the next verse that he has told us about the love the Holy Spirit gave him. He has told us. I call this good gossip. News always travels, good or bad. But what if we intentionally talked about what's right with people? What if we had eyes to look for what God's doing in the person instead of what's wrong? And we talked about, and what if behind your back I told about how awesome you are and how gifted you are and what I see happening, God doing in your life? What if I reserved my rebuke for your face, but behind your back I was praising you? It would be an interesting idea, right? Jesus said to do the opposite regarding ourselves. Give, do our acts of righteousness in secret and confess our sins openly. <laughs> Again, because he's not in the mood to get us lifting up each other and getting all sidetracked. But, but this is good gossip. And I want this to be true about us. We talk incessantly about people's good qualities and traits behind their back. And we talk incessantly about what God is up to and what God is doing. We tell others about the graces that we see in people's lives I think that good gossip can spread like wildfire and it can raise the level of love and mercy in a place. I really think it can. Similarly to if, if, some, if, if rumors start and we start talking bad about this person, the next thing you know, there's files in everyone's brain that start to look and think that way. And the next thing you know, it's, oh, you. You know what I'm talking about? And a final little point. Can you believe how fast I'm going right now? It's just like, we're going to get through two verses. Amazing. Remember the first day I started this and I said, we're going to get 14 verses done on one day. Remember that? That was cute, wasn't it? Oh, he's cute. Pet him on the head. He don't know nothing. But this is where I want to stop is the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. I hear a lot that love is a choice. So if, if God's the one giving them love, does that mean he's the one controlling their choices? I love you. Are we robots? No, because no, love's not a choice. Love is you in your heart valuing another person. Like really savoring and sensing the value of the person. That's what love is. And love makes choices. Now, if your heart is not in a place of love, you choosing to act as though you did love might be a part of a process of you growing to become love. But don't pretend that, that, that just because you're acting nice to someone you hate that you actually love them. That's, that's just lies. You're messing your brain up and lying to everyone around you, right? 
in Sunday school especially. Like the story of Joseph I was just reading, it says that his brothers hated him so much they couldn't say a nice word about him. But if they were Christians, they would have pretended and claimed that they loved him. But Genesis would have been true. They hated him, though they said they loved him. So when Paul says that Epaphras told him about the love the Holy Spirit gave them for people, what he means is they have God himself come and dwell within them in such a way that when they look around at people, they see what God sees. And they begin, and they begin to feel about those people what God feels. That's what it means, which is amazing and miraculous and the clearest mark of a true disciple of Jesus that you could ever find. I'm all for speaking in tongues. I'm all for the gifts of the Spirit. I'm all for miracles. But the evidence of being baptized in the Spirit is love because God is love. And, and I speak in tongues easily as much as the rest of you. I don't know if I speak in tongues more than any of you, but easily as much. So you know I'm not anti-gifts, right? Y'all hear me speaking in tongues, and some of you are like, that's not biblical. Well, get over it. But the mark of having really authentically been healthy in relationship with Jesus is love is flowing out. What do I think about you? What do I feel about you in secret? When nobody's around, what do I actually think about you? What do I actually feel when, you're th- when, when, when you come into my thought life? What comes up? So here's the story. You, Carrie's always kicking my butt, you know what I mean? She's, uh, she's the marriage. Let me tell you about marriage. We get married thinking, she's hot. I'm going to be happy if she and I get to make babies forever. But in real life... It's a matrix for holiness. You thought marriage was like, I was lonely and sad, but then this beautiful person who completes me and I get to write poems about our deep and undying quest of devotion. But in real life, she's mad I didn't do the dishes, and I'm just trying to do the best I can around here. But it's a matrix for holiness, right? So one day I come home, we got a new pastor in Kentucky, and and I'm the worship leader, so I'm like, we, I'm supposed to be friends with this dude, right? This guy's amazing. He's my close friend now. But at this stage, we was just sniffing each other like new dogs. <laughs> I don't know you. I don't know you. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Come on, somebody knows. Yeah. So I, I call him up and I ask him out for lunch. So we go to my Mexican restaurant and I have the Juvenal special, which who knows what that is because the dude in the back was named Juvenal and it was special, but I still don't know what it was or I would order it everywhere I go. It was amazing. Cheese sauce on some sort of fried thingy with the... And here's how our conversation went. So, how's it going? Good. God teaching anything new? Not really. Then insert like 30 minutes of awkward silence with me trying to keep the conversation going with him with the emergency brake pulled. And then I go home. What was that all about? So I try again. Like by the third time, and same thing. I'm trying to disclose personal things in the hope that he'll then reciprocate. Word of the day, reciprocate. That means he do it too. I'm trying to, this is what's going on in my life. 
what's going on in your life. And he's probably going, this guy talks a lot. He must really like himself. And I'm going, if I open up, maybe he'll open up. I don't know. But I came away with the distinct feeling two weeks in a row that he don't like me. And I'm starting to not like him either. Because I always start with this attitude toward everybody I meet. I like me and I like you. So this is fun. That's where I start. I like me. I like you. I'm glad to introduce me, who I like, to you, who I probably will like a lot. Oh, you don't like me. Uh Uh-oh. So the third week, I go home, and I'm like, or maybe it's after the second time, I say, I'm done with this. Carrie, I'm done. I'm done. And she says, well, you should just pray that the Holy Spirit gives you guys a love for each other. And I say, well, I ain't gonna. Is it all right if this is who? Let's just pretend it's not who I am anymore, that I wouldn't be this way now, okay? Because I actually have no clue how I'd be now. But this was a while back, so we'll just go with that. I ain't gonna. But you can pray and the Holy Spirit can give you love. Yeah, all right, you pray whatever you want. You have fun with that. I'm tired of getting hurt and rejected. That's the, I didn't say that, but that's the truth. I was tired of all, I put myself out there enough, tired of getting hurt and rejected. So I guess it's Holy Spirit's turn now. And uh, she says, well, I'm going to pray God gives you a love for each other. So she did. And the next time we went out, I opened up and he opened up. And then it was like, I like you. And then he's like, I like you. And then it was like, we have this in common. And then it was like, oh my word, this is amazing. And then I come home and I'm like, oh my goodness, he and I are buddies. This is so cool. And she's like, well, that's what I prayed. Oh, Tim, that's too simple. can't be that simple. But what if it is? What if we want to make it complicated because we want excuses? That's most of the Christian problem right there. We want it. One day, one day I'm sitting there puzzling over, you know, I'm the Grinch, puzzling and puzzling till my puzzler is sore over my own sin. And the Lord says to me, why are you trying to dignify your flesh? I said, what are you talking about, dignify my flesh? You're looking for intellectually respectable reasons that make sense of your sin. You're, dignif- you're trying to dignify your flesh by using highfalutin psychological words. I said, I am? He said, yeah, you are. The flesh wants what it wants. It wants pleasure. It wants comfort. And it wants them right now. And that's all it wants. You're trying to make this more. Just repent. And get back into being love again. Oh, but that's too simple and means that I have to cut the root of selfishness, which is the real problem. I'm preaching too long today. Let's stop. Let's have the prayer team come on up. I, uh, I asked the prayer team to invite the Holy Spirit to give them words of knowledge, uh, insights into how to pray, and uh, we'll see what happens. All right. Well, real, real quick, um, the Lord gave me, he gave me one thing during worship, and it's for the whole house, and it's, and it's also for Tim. So what I seen in the spirit was I seen Tim running, like he's running, and he's running the race, and God's telling us, like I've not seen us running, but some of us are behind him, and some of us are in front of him, and the Lord said, we're not to run in front of them, and we're not to run behind them. 
we're to run with him. So, so, so he gave me that for us to, to run with him. Um, and I don't know, like I kept hearing the Lord saying somebody's been dealing with, with migraines um, and a thigh problem. So um, if that's you, I'd like you to come up here so I can pray for you. And um, also, if anybody um, wants, a, wants like a prophetic word, I feel like the, the Lord, um, like I just felt there was a, an anointing for that to, this morning. So, so I'm willing to pray for that too. But, but I know definitely the migraines and, and the thigh problem. So. All right, go ahead and stand. Abba, Father, we thank you so much for the truth of the gospel. Now we bless this house, this little gateway fellowship. I am so grateful for this church, the little church that could, the tiny church that makes the big impact, best kept secret in Delaware. Would you fill us with your spirit? Make us wise and to make the, to make the most of every opportunity to shine grace and love and hope and truth and peace into everyone around us, regardless of what they are living like or believing like. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.